start this book start while you were already a doctor or was it before? Oh no, after. Okay, I had so the idea actually it was um, after I got out of the emergency room, and mm. we'll get into that. But it was more when I was in my entrepreneurial mindset than my employee mindset. Right. So I, I guess what I wanted to say, and I want everybody to understand this, including me. <laughs> um, you know, you you went through medical school, I um, so. You're very intelligent, <laughs> oh, right? And um, you're not winging it. So you came to a point where you needed to trust your emotions and say, you know what? I bet my journey can help others because I'm really kind of proud of what took place and but how hard it was for me to make these decisions. I bet this can be shared. And I think that is a big turning point. And um, I, I say that because there's a difference, and you're exactly right. There's a difference between writing a book, which is a great success in itself, but then also writing the right book. But what I think is key that what you said was is that when you were writing it originally, um, within that first five years is that you were just filled with self-doubt. And I think that that happens to so many people. And it's been kind of your whole journey, it seems to me, from the beginning, is that there's doubt and then you overcome the doubt and you go a different way and then you complete what you set out to do. So even with the book, you used all your skills to finish that as well. That's true. Thank you. That's a great observation because I, I wouldn't have put that together. So thanks mm -hmm. for that. Um, so, um, okay, so take us back, right? So um, how did you get to where you are, right? It's kind of a, a, a you know, it's not so no, much. It's an amazing journey. It's an amazing yeah. journey, not so much a this is your life, but um, share yeah. it with us. So, so uh, isn't there a, a movie that starts out with it's kind of a funny story? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm going to take you back, and I promise I, I won't. You know, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm going to take you back to high school, and please don't cringe, but because I promise I'll speed it up. But uh, I graduated high school at 17, and I was it was a Catholic girls' high school, and all these girls had big dreams, and I was clueless. I had nothing. And I went away to college. It was 1969. I went to college for a year. Because if I didn't go to college, I would have just wasted four years of high school education. But I, I didn't have any clue what I wanted to do in college. And I'm the oldest of five, blue-collar family. My parents did not have money to send me to college, so I borrowed the money. Mm. And if you can believe it, in 1969, you borrowed the money from the bank. There was no federal this and the other. I borrowed $3,000 because that's what college cost in 1969, wow. $3,000. I go to college. I'm having a great year, meet a lot of great people. The year ends. I'm still clueless. And now I had a big decision to make. Did I want to spend another $3,000 and hope I was going to figure it out? And I was really afraid to do that. So I dropped out of college. And I got a job as a secretary because the only skill I had was that I could type 35 words a minute. Mm. We all type now because we're all on computers. Yeah. 
yeah. but in 1970, typing was actually a skill. Yeah, um, I got a just, job as a secretary. Um, interesting. I know you're you're skipping a lot here. I mean, there's a lot of emotions after that first year yeah. of college. I get oh, it. Oh, I felt and, like such a failure. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, such a okay. failure. So now you're working. And by the way, I had typing in high school as well. And uh, we used to type to Gordon Lightfoot. My teacher was, for some reason, I don't know why. That's but, yeah, so typing funny. was a skill and it was class. It was a big That's skill. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so. Well, I, well what, a nun taught me, and she wasn't playing Gordon Lightfoot in the class. <laughs> I <guarantee> you. <laughs> but anyway, I get a job as a secretary, and now my job is that I'm a secretary, but my goal was to find a man to marry me. Mm. Because I didn't think I had the brains or whatever else it was going to take. Interesting. And, and that was a uh, that was a common paradigm, I think, then mm-hmm. that we kind of got locked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, in the early 1970s, you could still make a career out of being married. And you know, I just thought, all right, I'll find somebody, and you know, that'll be it. And one disastrous relationship after another. By age 29, I found myself living with my new roommates, mom and dad, and, uh, you know, everything I owned fit in the U-Haul trailer. So this was not a good place to be, and I had to make some decisions, and I could have very easily gotten another secretarial job, but I knew in my heart it was time to do something. And I didn't know what that was, but everybody had said, well, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Mm. The best I could come up with was that I loved food. So I went to school to become a nutritionist because I thought, well, I love food. And the people say, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Very interesting. Within three months of being in college, I realized that I really loved science, which came as a big surprise to me because I was not a good student in high school. And I food different conversations and, and um, you know, lots of prayer and everything else. I decided I was, I was going to set my sights higher and become a doctor. Wow. And so, and this, you're saying basically uh, out of the blue, you became interested in science while you were uh, taking your food courses. Yeah. One chemistry course. One chemistry course hooked me. I thought, I love this stuff. This made such sense to me. I, yeah. I couldn't believe it. Wow. And, and so, um, but, you know, it was, I was now 30 years old, and I still hadn't even finished, finished college. And yeah. so I was really, uh, I was just beside myself because I felt, well, gee, I finally figured out, you know, what a passion is for me, but now I really feel like I'm just too old. I mean, I was... 30, people start medical school when they're 23. I, I wouldn't get in until I was 33. I wouldn't finish college until I was 33. Mm. And I, I drove my mother crazy. Oh, um, I really want to do it. I, what if I can't do it? I think I'm too old. I kept coming back to I'm too old. I'm too old. I'm too old. Can you I tell um, you just this story because I want to just make this point. Yep. The best advice I ever got in my life came from my mother. Really? Who looked at me and said, Susan, one day you'll be 50 years old. You'll either be a doctor or you won't, but you'll still be 50. That's your choice. 
Ah, okay. So hold on. Um, this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to take a break. So I don't mean to stop you, but we're going to take our first break and we'll continue this when we come back. Please stay with us. Uh, our guest, Dr. Susan O'Malley, is sharing her journey. We'll be right back. Let's return to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva on TalkZone.com. Thanks for staying with us, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and our guest today is Dr. Susan O'Malley. Dr. Susan is a cosmetic doctor, author, and motivational speaker, and she has written a book, Tough Cookies Don't Crumble, Turn Setbacks into Success. And we're discussing your early years when all of, when you had such big changes happening. So, you were 30, and your mom gave you the great advice about, you know, either way you're going to hit 50, either as a doctor or not as a doctor. So what are you going to choose? But to me, at that point, I could see, I remember, I remember when I was in my 20s, and I was really worried that I was just getting to be too old. You know, other people were managers in the organization. I wasn't a manager yet. You know, I was just feeling like every year I was too old. So even though now, looking back, 30 seems very young, I'm sure at the time it seemed old to you to be going back to college and working through to become a medical doctor. So how did you how how did you, you know, get the gumption to keep moving forward with all of that? Because that's a lot. It is a lot, but the flip side of that coin is for the first time in my life I had a goal. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter to me once I realized that it doesn't matter how old I am. And for the first time in my life, I had a goal. I had more energy than young people. And I say that joking, like, you know, 30 is young. <laughs> but, but, you know, yeah. especially now. <laughs> right. But, you know, I really, it didn't, it was not harder for me to do that because I was so focused. I was laser focused on my goal. I graduated and- at the top of the class. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, and that, I think, I think so many times people feel like, especially young people feel that if they don't have, if they haven't figured it out, you know, by 21, that it's too late. But I think what's really interesting about your story is, is that by the time you were 30, you were really ready to commit to that goal at that point, I would think. Absolutely. But I'll bring you back to when I was 25, because the day I turned 25 was one of the worst days of my life. I felt like such a failure. Mm-hmm. I had, I was divorced at that point, so I had failed at college. I had failed at marriage. I had failed in the workplace. I was a, I was a secretary. I wasn't a manager. I wasn't in charge of anything. I, um, you know, at that point, people reminded me jokingly, oh, you're a quarter of a century. You know, I didn't have children. I didn't have a boyfriend. It was one of the worst days of my life. Yeah, and there was nowhere to go but up from there. That's right? true. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, it's so devastating, though, at that age, right? I mean, you're really expecting to have, you know, at least be in the flow and moving forward. And it just is it's devastating when things don't work out. But I think it's amazing that you were able to turn that around 
just by one chemistry class. It was like, it's like you found your passion and you just ran with it, which is really, which really makes this story so cool and exciting. Yeah, and that is true. It was one chemistry class that just, that hooked me. Uh, and, and I just, I thought, wow, this is, I mean, for the first time, I, I felt, you know, there was an interest. There was, wow, I want to learn more about this. So then at 50, you had another turning point. I'm sure there was a lot in between there. But then oh. at 50, you had a, a huge turning point as well. Oh, well, and let me, well, let me just even take you back because now I graduate at the top of my class. Mm-hmm. I applied to every medical school in the country, and I was rejected from every school in this country. Oh. Yeah. Rejected from every medical school in the country. You don't know what devastation is until it smacks you right in the face. I was so embarrassed. I was devastated. I was like, oh, my God, what now? I mean, it had taken me 33 years to figure out what I wanted to do, and now I couldn't do it. So you, when you finished your college, you said you graduated at the top of the class. Yeah. And now, so does that mean at that point you had a medical degree from a oh, college? Oh, no, I had no. a college degree. You had a college degree. I had a college degree. I graduated, I, I graduated, I applied to every school in the country, I was rejected, and that was it. September and do you think 10th. it's because of the, of the volume of competition that you were rejected? Yes, yes absolutely. You know, everybody that starts medical school, everybody that sits in that class came from the top of their class. That's how you got in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I really had a decision to make because was I going to let it go and, you know, go do something else? But the truth was I didn't have a plan B. I, I didn't I didn't have anything else I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I, out of every worst case scenario that I could have imagined, being rejected from every school in the country never made the list. Right. So I had a decision to make and I decided I was not ready to give it up. And I put myself through the year-long application process all over again, which is, you know, multiple interviews, multiple essay questions, multiple applications. It's a very demanding process applying to medical school. And the second time around, it, it worked, and I was accepted to the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City. I got accepted three weeks before school started. I was off of the waiting list. I wasn't even anybody's first choice. And life had changed a little bit because I was now six months pregnant and I didn't have a husband. And I was 35 years old. You like working without a net. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I do. And I stepped into class that first day. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I wasn't, I just... Everything I wanted came at the same time. I wasn't willing to give anything up. I didn't know if I could do it, but I knew that I couldn't walk away. So let me just ask you. Right, you were too far into it. Yeah. You were too far into it at that point. Um, No one's going to mess with her goal, believe me. (laughs) Right. So this school that accepted you, right, um, you felt a little attached to because they were the ones that chose you, right? That's correct. So you felt like um, part of your goal was to 
be to prove to them they made the right decision. Right? That is correct. Yeah, because I can tell I that from you. Up, the day yeah. I showed up six months pregnant, a lot of people were very surprised. Yeah, interesting. Well, and that you kept going through the pregnancy, through the birth, then you're a single mom. I mean, that's a lot of work. I mean, med school in and of itself is a ton of work, but I didn't realize that you also were going through it as a single mother at that time. Yeah, yeah. I started medical school with my son under my heart, and I graduated medical school with my son in my hand. Aw, yeah. Wow. It's just amazing. So, so during that whole time, how did you keep going? Uh, well, one step at a time, one one moment at a time. You know, I I couldn't. Well, and actually, how I kept going. A lot of the strategies that are in the book, mm-hmm. you know, or, or you know, helped me. And believe me, I didn't realize they were strategies when I was going through it. But yes. you know, it's only when you step away. But I think that the the two biggest. Um, uh, strategies that really got me through were, first of all, I asked everybody for help. A lot of times people don't want to ask for help. I knew, and I was the queen of self-sufficiency before I got to medical school, but I knew all bets were off. I knew there was no way I was making it through. I was going to do two 24-hour jobs and combine them into one 24-hour job by myself. Mm -hmm. I took help from everybody. My mother, my father, my sisters, my brothers, my classmates. I jokingly say I would have taken help from strangers on the street. It didn't matter to me because my goal was more important than being embarrassed or than being, uh, you know, I mean, you have to make a choice. Do you want to make it through with somebody's help or do you want to sit here in this place by yourself and do nothing? And eventually they're going to have to help you anyway because now, you didn't do people, anything. People want to help. People inherently mm-hmm. want to help other people. But nobody wants to be the one to ask. Right. Right. Everybody does want to help, but nobody wants to be the one that asks. I, I love that because it's absolutely true. But you kind of stepped out of that and said, okay, I need help. I understand I need help. And if you guys are willing to help me, thank you. There's something That's- else, though. Yeah. That's exactly right. And another key strategy was that I just looked at today. People mm. were making plans. Oh, do you want to do this next week, that next week? Oh, no. I could not look at next week. I couldn't even look at sometimes the end of the day. That's really hard to do, right? I sat down in the classroom one day. I sat down next to this girl. I hardly knew the girl. I looked at her, I said, I can't wait until tomorrow. Oh, she got so excited. What's tomorrow? I said, it won't be today because I have had just about enough of today. <laughs> I was so exhausted. I mean, I could never have looked at graduation at the first day. Never. It would have been so overwhelming. All I knew was I had to make it through that day, and I could do that. Interesting. I think that's such great advice because I think so many times people look into the future and when they see the future, just like you said, it becomes so overwhelming that they just want to go lay down and they don't do anything. And by just taking it one step at a time, just looking at what's ahead of me, 
in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, and then move into the next day, and then what's ahead of me there, without going into the future and getting into all the scared and the overwhelmed from that, just looking at what's in front of me makes such a huge difference. Yeah, and again, I'll credit my mother, because it was my mother who said to me, Susan, no matter how crazy this day gets, this day will end, and tomorrow is a brand new day. Your mom is like full of wisdom. Yes, and I knew all I had to do was make it through today. Right, and it was great advice because if you, you know, just like I was saying, if you look into the future, it will scare you. It will overwhelm you, like you said. And by just focusing on today and moving forward and then asking for help from the people around you, those are two great strategies. No, I, I love this story, Dr. Susan. It's terrific. And we're going to go ahead and take our second break. And when we come back, we will be talking more with Dr. Susan O'Malley, author of Tough Cookies Don't Crumble. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Charlie Labosco is an author, speaker, and trainer with over 40 years' experience in the corporate workplace. Contact Charlie today to interact, influence, and inspire others in your organization. Whether it's a one-hour keynote presentation or a five-day training seminar, Charlie is available to speak on many topics, including making a difference in the workplace, even as one person, building shared leadership teams, and his signature award-winning seminar, Care Certification in the Workplace. Charlie speaking at your organization will make a difference on day one. For more information and to book Charlie, go to charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. Let's get back to Charlie and Eva for more corporate talk on Talk Zone. Okay, guys, um, welcome back. And we have the privilege of meeting and learning from Dr. Susan O'Malley. And her story is inspirational. I mean, uh, I just got over watching Secretariat for the second time because when I need inspiration, that's where I go. Um, but your story is just as inspiring. Um, I want to continue, but I have a couple of questions first, okay? Sure. Um, so, okay, what I see, right, what I got is, you know, growing up, you you were somewhat of a wild card, but nobody really knew it, right? Um, and then out of the blue, you came up with this goal that you had, and that goal inspired you. It's like you didn't need anything from anyone. You had a goal, and that was enough to inspire you. That <clears throat> That is a trait that not many have, right? Um, so I want to say that that admissions team from that second go round of applications, they must have got that. Mm -hmm. They must have understood that. Look at who this person is. I mean, this person has got, she's going to save the world someday. I can tell just, she's just not given up, you know, and I think they got it. And I think. Um, there would be a special place in your heart for that school for that reason. Um, but I wanted to ask, right, um, did you take any time to rate or assess your goal, that goal when you, when you, uh, 
vision that goal. I mean, um, because and I ask because I get a sense that you were proud enough of what you were doing to ask for help, right? I mean, you were doing something really important to you that was really going to help others once it's reached. And I think that made you proud enough to ask for help. That is a very interesting point because I don't know if what I was feeling at the time was pride. I can definitely tell you I was scared to death. I was scared that I was going to fail. Yeah, I bet. Um, so I think that I was more motivated by fear than by um, pride in myself. Jeez. Uh, just let me interrupt for one second and just repeat the website, SusanO'MalleyMD.com, S-U-S-A-N-O-M-A-L-L-E-Y-M-D.com. You need to go there. You need to learn more about Dr. Susan. And most important, you got to get this book, Tough Cookies Don't Crumble, because the title alone makes you proud. Well, I'm not a tough cookie, you know. So, okay, so now... So now you're in medical school, um, looking a little different than the other students, right? Yes. Uh, maybe a little intimidated. Um, and you know what I wonder? I wonder if, if you went back to your first year at college, if the students in your class were just going through the motions like maybe you were back then, maybe they didn't have the goals you had, right? It's interesting, right? That is interesting, yeah. yeah. So, okay, so medical school, um, I don't want to make light of it, but uh, I guess you managed to somehow get through it? I did. I did manage to somehow get through it. It took me five years rather than four. Um, during my second year, uh, you know, I had a two-year-old, and I was running a I, I was spinning like a top, and um, I, uh, I actually took a year off in between, which was the best thing I could have done because I didn't realize how, how much I was moving and spinning and trying to get it all done until I finally sat down. And wow. So, okay, wow. So yeah. after how many years you took a year off? Did you Two. Say? So you were in medical school for two years, and then you took, boy, I bet that set off a lot of red flags. Um, uh, in other words, is she not going back? Is she, yes. is this, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. But, and, and I was having, and I'll, I'll tell you, the reason I took the, the, the time off was that it actually wasn't my choice because I was so in the thick of it, and I was spinning around so quickly that I would have just kept on going, mm -hmm. you know, to get to the finish line. But there was a rule at the school that said if you didn't pass Part 1 of the National Board Exam, which was a two-day, 16-hour exam, you couldn't go on to your third and fourth year. And I failed the exam by one question. Mm. Uh, and they wouldn't let me go on. Uh, so I had okay. to sit out. And I guess um, I don't want to try to imagine what you felt, but somehow that was a blessing. And somehow you turned that around and used that year to retool, and then you came back like gangbusters. I absolutely 
absolutely did. I absolutely did. I took that year and I I slept and I took care of my son and I studied for that exam and I realized in that year all the things that I, that I didn't know that but I had managed to get as far as I had gotten and that year was such a blessing. I, I didn't realize it at the at the beginning of the year, but by the end of the year, I was so thankful that I had it because I stepped into my third and fourth year of medical school totally confident and focused. Jeez. You know, and that's what I love about this story. And that's, to me, the biggest lesson here and the biggest takeaway is, is that you don't have to follow all the rules, all the set rules, because... I know that there were people that went to medical school and for some reason didn't pass that exam and then didn't go back, didn't try again. And what your story really, really focuses on is the fact that, and just like in your book, you take all those setbacks and you really turn them into blessings and you move forward with it and you take the setback because stuff happens for a reason. You needed that year off would be my guess. You know, you needed it. Yeah. And I would have never done it on my own. Right. Right. And, the, and it's just it. So, so many times we look at things and we think, oh, this is like the worst thing that could happen when, you know, looking backwards on it, so many people will say, including yourself, that was the best thing that could have happened to me. But boy, at the time, it just seemed like such a, a horrible disaster. Yep. But boy, did it really make a difference? Because then, you know, like you said, it gave you that confidence. Just getting enough sleep builds your confidence. You know, when, you, when you're so wiped out, you know, you just feel like crying all the time. I mean, when I'm really wiped out, I can't, I can't see anything. You know, everything looks like a disaster. Okay. And with you, you know, having a child and doing all this work, I mean, craziness. And so then you, you got through the rest of, of med school. I mean, it must seem like everything after that was gravy, I would think, almost. Oh, well, I don't know about gravy. (laughs) I don't know about that, but, you know, I I got through and I picked a career as an emergency room doctor. And I'm telling you, God is good because God sees what you can't see. I picked the career as an emergency room doctor, if you can believe it, because I needed a, a specialty that would enable me to schedule my time so that I could be home with my son when I was home and I could be working when I was at work and I wouldn't be on call and I wouldn't be pulled in a million directions. And I thought, all right, well, I'll see a little illness, I'll see a little injury, uh, my schedule will be on the refrigerator and then I'll go home and that'll be that. And I found once I got into it that I really loved it I was so well suited for it. Oh, I, I could say I was going to say you're perfect. I can tell for right. that. Yeah, I was I was perfect for that job. Perfect because I could solve your problem, and I could get you home as quickly as I could, and I and it was it was it was just it was I, I it was tail that job was tailor made for me mm. until I hit fifty, and then oh I was so tired. Because that's mm. the young woman's job. Yeah. I was so exhausted. Yeah. And that makes sense. Well, I think that, you know, even, 
I know you're saying it's a young woman's job, but I think that that job would exhaust you regardless of your age. Like you could only do it up to a certain time. I don't think that that's a job that you could do for like 40 years. It just seems like it would just, after a while, you would just have to let it go and do something else. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're working literally around the clock and you never know what's coming in the door and Mm -hmm. everybody needs everything from you. And it doesn't matter if they have a splinter or if they have a, a gushing chest wound, hmm. everybody needs the same amount from you. And wow. you have to give that. Yeah. Yeah, and that really is cause for burnout. And it's life and death at, you know, at any given moment. All of a sudden, everything's calm, and then the next thing you know, everything is going crazy. That is so, exactly right. So at that point, you moved into another career, which is amazing. So tell us so, about that. So at that point, I um, I knew that because I loved it until the day that I didn't love it. And then I knew it was time to go. And, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, I spent a year in a clinic um, treating work-related injuries. And, um, you know, it was, it was never for me. But I was sleeping in my own bed at night. I was home with my son. I had a normal schedule. And so that was the trade-off for me. But I knew that I I wanted to do my own thing, and I didn't know what that looked like. And, you know, I started talking to people, and actually I started talking to everybody and doing all kinds of research. And um, I decided that I wanted to open a facility, um, a medical spa, it's called, that would help women navigate the aging process without surgery. And a lot of it was actually born out of my own turning 50 and, you know, looking in the mirror and saying, what is this and what is it doing on my face? (laughs) (laughs) Whose face is this, you know? And I would have off-the-cuff conversations with plastic surgeons that would be, you know, coming through the emergency room and the things they were telling me, how you fix this and that, were appalling to me. I just thought, you know, they have a better way. Yeah, we need you out there for that. So yeah, so um, I, uh, if you can believe it, I had there were no entrepreneurs in my family. I had no business training whatsoever. I rented a space. I put a seventy-five dollar ad in the newspaper, and I sat at the reception desk myself. Wow! And I waited for the phone to ring, and that's how I started the business. I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable. Um, you know, uh, we're heading into our last break, mm-hmm. but I wanted to ask a question quickly. Um, I was going to ask you, at that point, were you the same person you were back, you know, in that first year of college? I mean, has the bar really risen for you? And then when you explained that, you know, you went and did the clinic, and I was thinking, that's really not you. And then you said, well, that really isn't me, and I wanted to do more. I think you answered your question in that um, you've come a long way, and your bar is really high now. And um, I think you understand that, and that even motivates you, right? Yes, it, yeah. And, and I'll, I just want to add that writing this book has helped me redefine success because mm-hmm. success for me – before this book, whether it was right or whether it was wrong, was attached to a dollar figure. Mm-hmm. 
if I could hit this goal, this financial goal, I'd be successful. If I could hit this financial goal, I'd be successful. And what I would do was that I would keep moving the bar. Well, yeah, I hit six figures. Well, yeah, now I hit 200. Well, yeah, now I hit, mm-hmm. you know, well, that's good. But, but it was writing this book and getting feedback from people, getting emails from total strangers telling me how they, how my book changed their life and how they were struggling with this and that and the other. That just totally blew me away. Oh yeah, and I'm telling you, uh, and we have to we have to take a break. But I feel the same way right now. So you're inspiring me, and I understand what the list, what the readers would say because it is inspiring. You know, we have a lot of questions that we wanted to get to, but the story was just so riveting. It is riveting. So hang in there. We have one more segment. Uh, we're here with Dr. Susan O'Malley and her incredible journey. We'll be right back. Let Charlie Labosco show you how to revolutionize your presence in the workplace. Charlie is looking to improve the workplace, and by that he means your relevance in it. Charlie has over 40 years in the corporate workplace. He has seen the unbelievable, mind-boggling, off-the-charts changes in technology, but no real change in our day-to-day and sometimes toxic workplace behavior. Charlie's mission is to revolutionize the workplace by providing the training and the tools needed to lead any organization regardless of your job description. For more about Charlie and how to be a part of the workplace improvement revolution, visit charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. Welcome back to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva on talkzone.com. Well, I can't believe we're already at our final segment, but we're talking with Dr. Susan O'Malley. She's the author of Tough Cookies Don't Crumble. Turn setbacks into success. And if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Susan, you can go to her website. It's SusanO'MalleyMD.com, and that's O-M-A-L-L-E-Y-M-D.com. So, Dr. Susan, let's talk about the book because um, I know the book just must be so inspirational. Like, I'm sure that when once you published the book, like you were saying, people were reaching out and saying it really changed their life. So tell us about the book and what's in the book and what people can expect to get when they get the book. So the book outlines the strategies that transformed me from a college dropout and a secretary into an emergency room doctor and an entrepreneur. And the book is loaded with, um, I say my experiences, but not my story, because we all have a story. Mm-hmm. And if you know what it's like to fall down and get back up, then my story is your story. And that's what you'll find in the book. And um, I've also now um, turned the book into a keynote speech, and I've taken it out on the road, yet again reinventing myself, Mm -hmm. proving once again you're never too old and it's never too late because I'm now 64 years old, qualified for membership in National Speakers Association, and I'm out on the road giving speeches. That's terrific because now you're sharing your story and you're helping a whole other generation move forward, you know, because especially now, I mean, I know when I first started college and when I was in high school, you know, there was no Internet, just like there wasn't for you, and times really have changed and things move really fast, and I have no doubt that young people, men and women, feel that, if they don't hit certain checkpoints at different points in their life, that it's been too, that it's too late. 
that they can't do it. And it's simply not true. And I, and I love the fact that you're going out there and you're speaking to different groups and letting people know young and old that it's just a mindset. It's all about mindset and putting your mind to something and, and putting your mind to something that you loved. Because once you found something you loved, even though you were wiped out, it was still fun to go do it. I would think at some point. And that's probably, yeah. Yeah. So, and so, and and now I'm also a contributor to for entrepreneur.com and my first great. article was one day you'll be 50, 60 or 70, you'll either have achieved your dreams or not. And that article was trending on entrepreneur for 4 days. That's terrific. There, there That's terrific. Congratulations. Need, there there is a need for people to to realize like it's not too late. This is something we do to ourselves. You do have a lot of positive energy, which I think is a key factor to the success, I would think. Right. Well, and then we talked about a couple of the strategies that you have in the book about asking for help and, um, you know, just go moment to moment, look at today. Can you share a couple other strategies for people? Um, Another big strategy is embrace embarrassment. Mm. Some days you have all the answers and some days you make all the blunders. But you have to show up to every day. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you still have You know, to I love by. that. I love embrace embarrassment because so many times people think you have to do everything perfectly. And when they see you now, they see you as a keynote speaker. They see you as an entrepreneur. They see you as, you know, um, a doctor and as an ER, an emergency room doctor as well, which is a, a huge job. I mean, they, they can't even imagine all yeah. the struggles that you went through. And they can't imagine that you had ever been embarrassed. But by getting through that embarrassment and just saying, you know what, tomorrow's going to be better, it's a huge step. It's a huge thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one and, last strategy I'll leave you with, put on a helmet. <laughs> put, on, put on a helmet and get in the game. There are See? three kinds of people in the world, people that sit on the sidelines, people that play for the participation trophy, and people who are in it to win it. And the reason I know is because I've been all three of those people. Um, I love that. Yeah. And when we when we talk about, you know, one of the things that you said, you know, you had a real fear around failing. One of the things that, you know, I've had in my career – and I know a lot of my uh, coaching clients also struggle with is fear. What do you say about fear? How to handle that fear? Because fear can really stop people in their tracks. Yeah, and there's a whole chapter in the book, Make a Friend of Fear. Mm. And, you know, when I did my cardiology um, rotation in my emergency medicine um, training, I was left in charge one day of the cardiac intensive care unit. These are the sickest of the sickest people in the hospital. And it was getting to 5 o'clock and people, all the other doctors were signing out, and I was the only person who was going to be there taking care of the sickest of the sick. I went to the chairman of the department. I begged him, please let me out of this. Get somebody else. I can't do this. And he looked at me and he said, well, what's the worst that could happen? And I said, somebody could die. And he said, well, okay, if somebody were dying, what would you do? And I said, well, I would do this. And I outlined all this. I would do this, and I would do this, and I would do this. And he looked at me, and he said, so then what is the problem? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doing it. That's the problem. Yeah. Right. It's, <laughs> well, it's, well, it's doing it. And it's also that fear of the unknown. Right? Well, it's a huge, in that, in that example, it's, again, a huge... it's truly life and death, right? Yeah. 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 What is the worst that could happen? And what's and, the worst that could happen for anything? All right. It won't work. Well, are you going to be any worse off than you are right now? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. No, it's, it's terrific advice, and it's a terrific book, Tough Cookies Don't Crumble, and it's available on Amazon. And I think you still have a question? Um, no, I'm just blown away by the, um, the energy. Um, and what I like also when you, in your uh, thing that we have, which is a problem we all have, is we dream our way through life, and um, we manifest and dream our way through life and don't really do anything. Don't do it, yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think your story is a perfect example of, I, I hate to bring up the Nike logo, right? Of just do it. Right. Um, but be proud of it and, and learn from it. So, um, you know, how do we do that, right? How do we, how do we say, uh, I got to stop dreaming and I got to start doing. I mean, is there a switch so, that so I turn? Here's, here's what I say. I say you have to turn the M of manifesting upside down into the W of work. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try to manifest it. Work yeah, it. No. Right. I mean, when opportunity knocks, it's usually success on the other side disguised as hard work. Right. And 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 you do the work. But also understand, like you were saying originally, that just like your book says, you know, sometimes a setback will actually be the catalyst to your success. And so you're actually living proof of that because of all the setbacks that you went through and you actually, you know, went on to become successful. Well, you know, Dr. Susan, thank you so much. This has really been a great show. We were so happy to have you today and be able to um, share your story. The story is fantastic. It really is. And um, yeah, it's our privilege to have met you. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity. Excellent. Have a great night. Take care. So again, everyone, it's Dr. Um, it's Dr. Susan O'Malley. The book is Tough Cookies Don't Crumble, Turn Setbacks into Success. And her website is SusanO'MalleyMD.com. That's O-M-A-L-L-E-Y. And it's a terrific book and it's a terrific story of overcoming obstacles. And it doesn't matter what your age is. The story is unbelievable. It really is. And the book is unbelievable because it talks strategy. Yes. Which is even better. Yes. So another great show. Great show. So thanks, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Have a great week. Bye.